When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We'll recap it all, talk about what happened in the week to come. So, uh, got the second sweep of the season earlier this week against the Washington Nationals who the Marlins just own at this point. But that was a really well, hard-fought series for the Marlins. Two games in that series came by just one run. Just seems to be the theme so far this year. Another by two runs. All really close, hard-fought games against with three of um, three of Miami's younger starters starting all the games in that series, including Yeri Perez. Um, overall, series, comeback win, the walk-off on Tuesday, the first game of that series from Jorge Soler. Uh, the Marlins could have easily lost all three of those games, but they found a way to win all of them. And it feels like it's been the theme so far this year. The Marlins are finding themselves in games they shouldn't be in and just continue to find ways to win, it feels like, Eli. Way more often than not, they're winning those close games. Thank you, everybody, for for joining us tonight, leading up to uh, another big Miami sporting event later tonight in the Miami Heat. But with this team, they, um, yeah, for the most part, a lot of these close games, the one-run record is a little deceiving because there are close games that ultimately ends with a multiple-run deficit like today's. Today's game was back and forth. It was tied for several innings, leading to very – um, leading up to Lazardo's final bit of it, and they ended up losing it by two runs. So just just as an example, one reason why, um, even though they've been dominating one-run games, some of the games that are also close in doubt towards the end, they end up like losing a grip of the rope, and the the final score sometimes doesn't totally reflect that. All things considered, you can't complain uh, too much. The fact that they were able to sweep the series that they did against. Both the Nationals and Giants, they're coming from very different uh, sets of expectations this year, and they have a lot of obvious differences. All things considered, they're pretty similar opponents, um, in my opinion, in terms of quality of teams. You'd like to win series against both of them, but to have a winning, well, actually, to have a 500 week against those two opponents is fine. It's fine, especially considering exactly what we were talking about a week ago. A week ago, we were... Um, lamenting all the key players that are dropping out due to injury. So they are, at this moment, um, they have as many injuries as they've had at any point this year. And for them to continue to be performing and you know, winning games at approximately the same rate, that consistency, even with a changing cast of characters, is is really encouraging. And we brought up all those guys who have been hitting right time the bullpen's obviously stepped up in a lot of key spots but there's been a discussion about a particular player this week on uh, during one of his hot streaks and if he is a streaky player or not brian de la cruz in the middle of another scorching hot 
streak for the Marlins. Um, did he get a hit today or no? Is the hit streak over? It's over. It's over. It's over. Yeah. But he was on a 14-game hit streak. Pretty impressive, all things considered. And um, I think Alex Krutchik put out a tweet earlier this week that um, protected uh, Brian De La Cruz's um, just stretches so far this year. First 20 games, he was on absolute fire. Uh, that Cleveland series, he played absolutely amazing. Um, just played like a minor leaguer for the next week or two after that. Now he's back on the upswing again. And we've kind of seen it over his major league career. Brian De La Cruz, all things considered, has been a streaky player so far. But the bigger question is now that he is at a point in his major league career where he's going on year three of service time now, or he's getting there at least, he has to he has something to prove the himself as a big leaguer as arbitration will be coming up in future years for him. Uh, has to prove whether he belongs or not. So this is a really big year for him, and one that I felt like a year that I feel like a lot of people didn't really think too much of. This is this being very very important for him. But he's playing very good baseball right now, and uh, the whole outfield right now has seemingly stepped up in big spots. A healthy outfield, I should say. Jorge Soler, uh, Skip said it in that interview you guys heard at the top of the show, hitting home runs every single time. Lazardo has been out there, it seems, but. Uh, there are certain guys that are stepping up in big moments right now. Some other guys have been disappointing. Nick Fortes is on the upswing, but it's kind of been a next man up mentality so far this year, a little bit. Yeah, on on Dela Cruz, I need to give him some props as straightening it out. It really didn't seem that far fetched a few weeks ago that they might be in a position to send him down to AAA just because of how severely he was struggling just to put balls in play for a while there. And you look up, and all things considered, he's been a slightly above-average hitter this year while playing just about every single day. So he's facing a lot of righties in addition to lefties, and he's still producing. And he's producing um, for all the limitations and the inconsistencies he does have. There are some fundamental things about his game I, I wish would improve. But all things considered, he's been a key piece of this lineup, especially at this particular moment. He had what that long hitting streak, that fourteen gamer, and uh, it's hard to fake He's had that. Two separate hit streaks so far this year. He had nine and a fourteen, and coming into the season, nine was his career long. Right. So what kind of got overshadowed with this last hitting streak is he shattered his own personal hit streak record with that fourteen gamer, which kind of went unnoticed until the last part of it. All of a sudden, you blink your eyes, you're like, oh. Brian De La Cruz is a 14-game hit streak. It was one of the longer ones in baseball all year. I don't know what the longest one this year is, but it's up there. It wasn't that long ago. When they called up Peyton Burdick, it was, I was kind of of the opinion that Burdick would surpass De La Cruz for a role on this team. Mm-hmm. And the early returns on that are not very, are not great. Yeah, on the I other end. people of- calling for him to get sent down today. That's the first I've seen that. I had hope for him, but. But the way the injuries are in this team right now, it seems that we'll see Peyton Burry for at least a couple more weeks, yeah. at, if that, because we we haven't had a ton of updates on Abisayel Garcia. He's rehabbing. Jesus Sanchez is expected to probably be out at, at least like a month or so. I, I would guess maybe three weeks, like at best. Because he's this is a root injury where he's going to have to rehab, and he would presumably go to Jacksonville or Jupiter or whatever. Right. But it, it, it's getting thin right now. Jazz being out too. Soler and De La Cruz are going to be your mainstays in the outfield. And then they're going to rotate in Hampson, Burdick, Edwards in center field. 
just guys that they're just trying to throw at the wall and see if they'll stick right now. Yeah, that's part of it. The other part of it is the reality that you need to balance trying to win right now and also look out for your future. With Burdick, they've had him in their system for four years. And with Edwards, they made a trade to get him this past offseason for a specific reason because they see these guys as, um, if everything goes right with them, actually being long-term pieces of the position player core, even if they're not, even if they're just role players and nothing close to everyday starters on a team, it's important to find out what you have in these guys. For both of them, they were performing really well in AAA after spending last year in AAA. They have nothing left to prove down there. And the way that the injuries have piled up, these this opportunity is here, and it makes sense to give them that long leash to show what they got. So as you alluded to, it's probably multiple weeks more until you even have to consider making a decision on one of those rookies between Edwards and Burdick going down. And in this tiny sample, you'd think that Edwards has the inside track. Um, even with Burdick, like not just offensively, where he's striking out in half of his plate appearances, but also defensively. Like today, there was that double and deep center field that he, I think he made it look a lot more difficult than it actually was. A ball that yeah, got over his head that that yard, may have been catchable. Yeah. yeah, he's taking some bad routes. I've noticed that. There was yeah, the one really unfortunate play happened in Wrigley where he lost the ball in the sun, and that proved to be a pretty crucial mistake. Even outside of that, it's yeah, it's been a bit of a bummer with him where it's been a few extra base hits and just not a whole lot of other redeeming qualities. This is exactly the stretch of the season where you find out what you have with them, and you hope you get enough that there's still enough healthy veteran bodies between Solaire and Arise. And if you want to put Dela Cruz in the veteran bucket for the time being, I wouldn't blame you because compared to the rest of the guys, yeah, he's been around a while. It's safe to say he's going to stay up at this rate. We were calling for him to maybe go down at some point because he's the only one who had the option. But it's safe to say he will probably stay on the major league team for the entire season. Yes. Um, Unless he has a cold streak. Like, month long yes and it's been clarified with Solaire that he'll play the outfield occasionally like this week he played it twice and that in itself was kind of notable because that's I think that's that matches a season high I don't think he's ever played the outfield more than two games a week at any point this season mm-hmm. it's a really sporadic thing which means if he's going to be the DH for the vast majority of games then you have a lot of outfield playing time available and it's good that um it's good to just uh, evaluate what you have in these young players in the meantime yeah, I couldn't agree more. So um, we kind of touched on the San Francisco series a little bit. We've already hit the national series on the head. It was a good sweep, second sweep of the year. This one, disappointing weekend series in San Francisco on the Bay this weekend, where both losses came at the hands of Miami's two best pitchers, just kind of having some out-of-the-ordinary games for them. Although... This is starting to become Sandy's new normal so far this season, at least. This is it, there's some slight concern, I would say, at this point with the way he started. But um, his pitch count stayed well Friday. Just found himself in a couple of mishaps, but it's surprising to see that so far from him. That um, I would believe it's fixable, but I struggle to pinpoint what the problem actually is for him right now. Yeah, there are a lot of smart people that are trying to pinpoint the problem and also unsuccessful in pinpointing it. I don't think there is one particular thing. It's just it's a bad, just death by a thousand. 
seems yeah, it's just a difference of yeah. last year kind of setting the highest possible standard. And um, realistically, he was never going to be able to repeat that. At the same time, there's you know, it's still early on, and there's just been a lot of um, tough luck that he's getting. He's doing a lot of the same things as last year, and his stuff is measuring out in a lot of the same ways as it was last year. But yeah, maybe not quite finishing his pitches the same way um, in order to get the ball on the ground. And that's kind of the main thing that I've seen is just yeah, a lot more line drives than last year, and those line drives are going to turn into hits more often than the typical ground balls will. So Especially that, when the defense behind him is not that great. Right. That was the big concern entering the year is the quality of defense. Just from watching games and like this past game in particular, I can't say that in, that his defense specifically cost him other than his own personal defense, right? I think mm-hmm. in, in this game, let me try to remember exactly what play it was that he himself kind of contributed to his own issue with a throwing error on that. Yeah, there it was, it was a he soft ground ball that, um, yeah, it was a makeup. Actually, if I remember correctly, yeah, it was a play that, um, it was a ball that he should just let go. It was the one where it was just a really well-placed ground ball. Um, there wasn't going to be a realistic chance to get him at first base and it cost himself a couple extra bases and it heightened the intensity in the moment. This was in the bottom of the sixth inning when he had a lead to work with. That's the dispiriting part is now we've had, back-to-back starts where he's had a lead and we've seen the lead slip away out of his control. They're starting to, he's starting to get a little more predictable because there's been a few starts this year where he's just firing right away. Uh, the first few innings, first time through the lineup, but he had like four strikeouts through first two innings, I think on Friday, maybe it was first three, but he was working well and he was carrying a no hitter into the third or fourth. I can't remember when he lost it, but the inning he did lose it. He gave up runs. Right. So it's a, it's a combination of things that are adding up where there's not really one particular game aside from ever since the Phillies game really early in the year. There hasn't been any terrible starts, just all these ones that are obviously far below his standard and that more often than not, they come apart later in the game, even when he looks pretty good early on. That's what made him so special last year is that there was no drop-off later in games. If he was able to do, be efficient enough to get the ball into the seventh or the eighth or the ninth, then he would just keep going what he had been doing earlier in that he game. He works on momentum. Yeah, he's, he's a very good closer. He works well in those high-momentum situations, I feel like, high-pressure. Right. But the, a hot topic all season, really. The one I'm starting to see more and more of is I think a lot of fans are hitting their breaking point, maybe even the team themselves, is Jacob Stallings. How much do you think he's played into Sandy's struggles? Even though he's having his own struggles at the plate. He's been demoted to once, maybe twice a week catcher. But um, what are your thoughts on just anything Jacob Stallings right now? I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to record an entire separate podcast about Jacob Stallings that you can find on our Fish on First feed and on fishdrives.com. That is the big topic. Uh, We've reached a point where it's just obvious that he is not going to be the player that they acquired in the first place a year and a half ago, where at the very least they thought he'd be a starting caliber catcher. Overall, he's, he's just about as bad as any player in baseball since they've gotten him because of his limitations as a hitter, his limitations as a base runner, and most disappointing, you know, his limitations defensively, where he is just not really checking any of the boxes you want from that part of the game. Last year, he got a little bit of credit 
in, intangibly for you know catching every moment of Sandy's Cy Young season. Um, he it's still the same pair of players, and as we touched on, Sandy still looks the same as he did before. Um, and yet the results are a lot different, which makes you just realize that uh, maybe yeah, it's, there's nothing magical about that particular battery. And in, in fact, I think almost the opposite that immediately you, you, I would like to see Fortes catching Sandy instead of Stallings, not just for the defensive stuff, but uh, for most obviously the offensive side of it, where nothing good is going to happen with Stallings, even when Sandy has had the lead in a few of his starts, it's not a, a substantial lead. It's like it's the thinnest possible lead because of how limited your lineup is going to be when Stallings is in it. Um, and it makes everybody's life a lot easier when you have a larger lead to work with that it tones down. It, it changes the decision-making of the pitcher. If they realize, especially for somebody like Sandy, who gets quite a bit of balls in play, um, it gives him some margin for error to work with. And that like opens up a lot of possibilities for the, the pitch selection that you can use at a particular time. Um, there's just, there's really no way to, to sugarcoat it that he's Stallings has been terrible, even compared to where he was last year. He's, he's the worst player on the team for sure. And if this team had an obvious next man up at the catcher position in the organization, then you would really start, talking about Stallings job being in jeopardy but that thankfully for Stallings that's not the case at this very moment but they need to continue to lean into a different playing time mix here and make Stallings the clear backup and to sever that connection that he had with Sandy Um, they should not be tied at the hip the way that they have been there's really no (laughs) at this point especially this deep into the year and what we've seen there's just if, if, unless Sandy himself is demanding it, which uh, he never has to the best of my knowledge, then you need to do what's best for the team and you need to play your better players more often. Yeah, 100% agree. And we touched on it a lot last week. We spent a lot of time last week on it, but um, catcher position is just very, very bad top to bottom in the organization. There are no true options. The only minor leader you would even give a thought of calling up Paul McIntosh, he's hurt right now, so that's not even an option. You just have to roll with the punches. I mean, the catching position right now in baseball, it's kind of in a bad spot. There really aren't a lot of dominant ones. I mean, Adley's fun to watch. JT Romuto is always good. Sean Murphy's been incredible for the Braves. And just a reminder, the Marlins were rumored to be in trade talks with him in the athletics this past offseason, and that would have solved many, many, many problems. But besides the point, the Marlins catching position is just terrible right now in, in every facet, and uh, there's no true way to, to really fix it. And, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions about trade, so I won't touch on it too much, but there really isn't a lot to, to offer up to go fire. And we had this discussion privately this week um, well, amongst the Pitch Stripes members. If, w- would you even trade him? pitcher for uh another hitter at this point whether it be a prospect for prospect swap or a major leaguer type deal uh, the Marlins just can't really afford to trade any pitchers right now because depth is not great with all the injuries they're having they've just hit a really bad um stretch of injury luck right now where if you lose one of the five current starters right now I don't even know who you make the fifth guy in the rotation. Let's say Braxton Garrett goes down and you're stuck with Sandy, Lazardo, Eddie, and Yuri. 
and you still got Cueto and whoever, Trevor Rogers, a few weeks away at, at least, what do you even make the fifth spot, guys? So you can't really do that either. So the Marlins are just in a tough spot where they're going to have to find a way to just win with what they got, it, it feels like, at this point. It fits in the same vein as what we mentioned with Burdick and Edwards in terms of Nick Fortes, and this just being a pretty obvious opportunity to find out exactly what you have in him. People got so excited from his first couple months of last season when he looked like he was checking a lot of boxes you look for in a starting catcher. He was very vaguely resembling the kind of player that they once had in JT Real Muto. There was a lot of excitement about him. And then he pretty quietly didn't play well the entire second half of last year. It goes without saying that he's been a disappointment this year. Had a home run today, and that was uh, only his that second home. Marlins catcher base hit since his first home run back during the opening series. Yeah, first extra base hit, I assume. Yeah. Um, yeah, first extra base hit. I think of any catcher. I don't think Stallings is a double in there anywhere. For somebody that. It stuns me that for somebody that has the skill that Fortes has, that it just hasn't shown up yet, this is an opportunity to expand his playing time and find out before, once you get to trade season, you want to have a better idea of exactly who Fortes is. Uh, between even, it's still very early, as bad a start as he got off to. If you give him enough playing time the next couple months, I think a fair barometer is looking at his numbers last year. And once you get into the second half of the season, do his numbers this year. Are they basically on track for where they were in 2022? If so, then you begin looking at him as, yeah, maybe that is our starting caliber catcher for beyond this year as well, or at least somebody that is worth carrying on this roster as one of the top two guys. Yeah, Yeah, because right now there is a little bit of uncertainty about whether they have even any of the uh, one or two catcher on their roster right now. You need to give Fortes is the one that certainly has that potential at this point. That's unfortunately the point I'm trying to get home about Stallings is despite what his track record is, there's no indication that he's going to get back to what he was. This is a position that can age pretty rapidly. Um, Jacob Stallings, 33 years old. It looks like he is just declines and that there's no reasonable expectation to expect him to come back from that. He is in a year by year situation where he's in his arbitration years. He's earning three something million this year. And I think it's become obvious at this point that they're not going to be bringing him back at a similar salary next year. And that's the approach I'd like them to have, understanding that you have Fortes next year. You have a few guys in this farm system that may get a chance later in the year when Paul McIntosh is healthy. He's not healthy at the moment. Um, If Austin Allen, if he keeps up his hot streak in AAA a little longer, maybe you give him a shot. He's been... um, He's further along in his career, not not somebody to be treated as a prospect or to get super excited about. They should be approaching this as if Stallings is in his last year with the team, and they could try to make the best of it with him, but that doesn't mean forcing him into a role that he doesn't belong in. You need to just come to terms with the reality of it, is that if they're going to get respectable position production from their catcher position this year, um, the only route to get there is by playing Fortes and hope that he recaptures what he's shown at times prior to this season. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it kind of wraps up and puts a bow on uh, this series, disappointing series that is, but that win on Saturday, very, very gutsy win, a 1-0 win, that, a very Marlins-esque win it feels like from last season at least, kind of carries over this year, but um, 
show moves on. Before we get to uh, before we get the our listener questions, we'll try and make it somewhat quick. So we got about a half hour to heat tip off. Although the way the NBA works, uh, that could always be a little bit longer. But anyways, we'll preview this week where the road trip will finish out. It's a very long road trip, but these West Coast road trips can always be fun. They could also be detrimental to a season sometimes. But go to Coors Field tomorrow night for a four game stretch. Uh, that Fish Stripes live show should be a pretty fun one. I'll be on my first Fish Stripes live show in a minute, but um, it'll be a fun one. That should be a fun series. Um, Jorge Soler will probably be a popular series MVP pick the way he's been hitting the ball right now, especially in that yard. But I haven't checked the pitching matchups yet in that series, but most rotation will go. Everyone but Lazardo will go in that series. But um, another good opportunity, the Rockies are not a very good team. None of the teams that the Marlins had to play this series are very good teams. Angels are probably the best of them. But um, it's a big opportunity. And with what I just said, they play the Angels for Memorial Day weekend. Um, I'm not sure if they're scheduled to face Otani or not. It will be interesting to see. But um, the Angels, they're a very streaky team. So we'll just have to wait and see what the Angels might look like once that series comes. But um, I'm excited for this Rocky series. I think it's a big opportunity for the Marlins to get it right and um, get back on track. I mean, they're a game over 500. I'd say they're still playing pretty good for their standards right now, but it's an opportunity. This entire stretch that we talked about this month constantly for the last few weeks, it's been an opportunity for the team, I feel like. So, um, Eli, what are your thoughts real quick on just what's ahead just this coming week? The Rockies are very vulnerable right now. This is an important series to take advantage of. You talk about the Marlins injuries. The Rockies have plenty of them too, including affecting two of their top three starters, Herman Marquez and Antonio Sensatella, both of them very serious injuries. Marquez, I know in particular, is going to, I think he just underwent Tommy John surgery. So their pitching, which was already extremely questionable entering this year, is now even more so. Um, the one, the, the thing is, I'm sure Romeo is very excited for the series as he gets to watch a lot of Justin Lawrence. That is, uh, that's probably the, the best pitcher on the Rockies roster right now, Justin Lawrence, who's an excellent reliever. And outside of that, they just they don't have a lot there. Even offensively, when you make the adjustment for Coors Field, um, maybe their best overall position player is their catcher, Elias Diaz. And he's somebody that I'm going to bring up. This is a team that Chris Bryant is on. Yeah, he's because he's not having a good season. No, he's not. At all. No, Chris Bryant, he got off to a nice start. And Again, you need to adjust for uh, like the conditions of Coors Field. Is that if he's putting up an OPS right around 800 with half of his games at Coors, and he's just playing corner outfield spots, he's just not a super notable player anymore. Unfortunately, it's really unfortunate for the Rockies considering what they're paying him for the next like six years. But he's been a replacement level player, Chris Bryant. We, we know that Brandon Brenton Rogers. He had a nice year last season, and he got hurt very early on in the preseason and he's, he's not going to step on the field anytime soon. So they're a young team. They, I guess CJ Crone is the big power threat that they have in their team. You know, he's, he's solid and he had a huge series against the Marlins probably last year. It was at course. It was either last year or the year before where he won. Nash- I think it was last year. Right. That's what I had in mind. I think he, <laughs> you just put in cartoon numbers against them during the course of a series. Uh, at Coors Field not that long ago. So he, he's a key player to watch. Overall, this is a really bad team. 
Uh, we talked about the Nats as a team that I think is better than their general perception, and the Rockies are not the case. I think they are just as bad as the perception is about them. This is a series that um, ideally you don't want to come into it with a slightly more rested bullpen. The bullpen is in decent shape for the Marlins, but you'd like to have seen their starters go a little bit longer in this giant series. Um, just knowing that you need to go through a lot of pitchers when you're in course. That's the one thing about it. Even as bad as the Rockies are, the environment is such that you have to throw a lot of pitches. A lot of runs are going to be scored. You need to go through many different arms. Ideally, um, you'd like them to be a little bit more well-rested heading into this series. I, I still don't see that as a very big excuse. This is an opportunity. This should be yet a, they're going to be favored to win this series. I think anything less than a sweep is going to be uh, immense disappointment. So then right after that, three of four is at least fair i would be disappointed if it was a split if the rockies get one game it's, it's one game but i mean a sweep would be nice i feel like three of four it's still okay right. you get two games back and trying to get back in the standings but because they dropped one in san francisco when that was a series we thought they should win i guess a sweep would probably make up for it right so after that flying back to california next weekend to face the angels uh, the first thing on everybody's mind, yes, Otani is going to pitch in that series, and he's going to presumably hit in the other games of that series. He continues to be pretty terrific over there. Um, and their team is it's, it's kind of similar to where it was at this time last year when it looks like they might finally have a serious contender. They're, they're a little bit above 500. Um, yeah, Mike Trout is playing below his immense standard so far this year. Um, and their their bullpen in the Angels, I think it started off the year really terribly, but they've actually been very good lately to kind of get back on track. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a solid team. I think the Angels are the best team that they play on this road trip by just about every measure. Um, they're going to put up some runs, but they're um, yeah, they're relying quite a bit on young guys. Their everyday shortstop, Zach Neto. They have one of their catchers. Their catching position is almost as thin as the Marlins are, Chad Wallach old friends is on the angels roster and getting quite a bit of playing time. He'll start at least one of the games as well. So so they're, they're a team that also has kind of their top heavy. Let's just say that with Otani and trout, they have a couple of role players that off that are off to good starts like Gio Urshela. He's hitting 300 Hunter Renfro. He's driving in a lot of runs, but they're they're, disappointed by Brandon jury so far this year. He got signed to that contract after having a pretty good, First half of the Reds, okay. Second half of the Padres. He's been a little disappointing this year, though. He's somebody that the Marlins are very interested in. He ended up getting a contract that was almost identical to Gene Segura's. It is disappointing but for him, considering that. And he's fell below my expectations. But I'm sure the Marlins would have been, in hindsight, they would have been happier to have his production than Segura's so far this year. Well, that's saying a lot because the jury has not been great this year but uh so a lot of season left and with that being said uh that, that'll recap preview so we'll get to the best part of the show here probably got about a half hour to do it first thing an 8 30 cutoff here probably just so we don't lose half of the small viewership we already have the tnt anyways uh we'll get going on it but first we do it every week we'll do it again consider becoming a super subscriber it is the best deal out there on twitter we have made it the lowest price possible three dollars a month and you get all access to Fish Stripes, everything. Access to the gift database, compete in fantasy sports leagues with us, win prizes, make serious predictions, win prizes. 
uh, many, many giveaways, the game notes for every single uh, game uh, where you get um, the media notes, any cool stats, facts that the team has put together. Um, you get to see that. I call it the Marlins Bible. It's cool. I, I now read it before pretty much every single game or at least every single series at that. But um, I'm trying to think of what else there is. I may have hit it all. I rattled them all off pretty quick. But there are so many benefits. Um, the winner of our Fantasy Baseball Super Subscriber League gets field-level tickets to a Marlins game of their choice next season or the postseason if it were to occur this year. And um, it, it is the best deal out there. We've got Romeo coming in here now. And the reason why we bring it up during these spaces is because the last benefit is you get to – you get first priority to speak in these spaces. Now, anyone can request and ask a question as long as you appear to be a Marlins fan on your profile. At least we've had some people sneak in here and say some not-so-nice things to me before. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But uh, anyone can request. It's just guys like Romeo. He gets first dibs. So, Romeo, you usually don't have a question for us, but I'm intrigued to see what you've got today, especially because your boy is going to be facing your team this week. I just don't want any runs. I'll be honest with you. If he strikes out three, I'll be happy because they would strike out anyways. Well, but, I guess if I were you, I would hope that the Marlins are already up big, so that way if Justin Lawrence comes in when it's like a five-run game, it's like the eighth inning, the game's already over. If he puts down like Segura, Stallings, and Jacob or um, Xavier Edwards, one, two, three, just like that, that's like a win-win for you. But if we're up five, they won't bring him in. He's uh, their high leverage arm, and I put it in quotation marks because they are they don't get really into high leverage situations that much because they're just not not good. That's why I say it. Although I, I, I shouldn't say that before a four game set with them. I feel like that's putting bad juju on the Marlins. Um, I was gonna say, um, if you had uh, Rogers is coming back soon, right? He should be. Uh, what was the injury update? Not that soon. This, this yeah, weekend, I, I think it's still at least a few weeks. This weekend, he threw a 35 pitch bullpen session. That was after throwing another bullpen earlier in the week at 25. He's still going to need multiple rehab starts before he gets back. He'll, he will be back in June, um, but probably it's right now a mid-June trajectory for him, Trevor. Look at the schedule real quick. June's treacherous for the Marlins. I'd say maybe around like, yeah, I'd say mid-June would be good. You get the Nationals somewhere in there. Early June's a pretty nice stretch for the Marlins. It's like weaker teams, although – Around here, we don't like to look ahead too much because we just like to take it a series at a time. But, um, no, I think there's some good spots for to try and slot him in. You want to do it strategically. They did it strategically with Yeri, um, but making sure his first three career starts were against the, the Reds, the Nationals, and Rockies. I think that's the best way to ease a guy in. But, um, yeah, Tr- Trevor's still probably a few weeks away. I really don't even know if we're going to see Cueto start again for the Marlins this year at this rate. Just with the way the rest of the rotation is going, I'm not saying because Cueto's injured. I'm saying that because 
the rest of the rotation is so good. Who do you justify kicking out for a guy that got absolutely blasted in the one inning he played? I guess the, the Marlins do like to save face a lot of times when they pay big guys to play them too much. They, they just ride them into the dirt. But I just don't see who you take out of the rotation right now in favor of 30, 39-year-old Johnny Cueto. Not a fool. Oh, I, I wouldn't touch any of them, yeah. Um, any other questions? Is there just anything that you had on your mind? I'm, I'm, I'm not going on my rant like I did last week, Trent. Oh, that's amazing. I, I, I want to apologize to Eli's neighbors. That one is, um, I think that's an important one. He said he has a speaker. And then... Look, last weekend, I, I was very, very sick on Sunday during this show, and it was it gave me the, the one good laugh I had all day. That made my day last weekend. That, that was the pain of a Marlins fan. Um, all coming out, uh, I just had a question, and it just slipped up. Uh, oh, it, just, it just slipped my mind. <laughs> Um, Here you go. We we got time. We got time. Yeah, you, you can bring up Ryan while I try and think if, if he's requested. Yeah. Ryan is requested. You we we have our usuals now. Although if anyone new wants to come in here and ask a question, more than welcome to. Yeah, I just wanted to mention I added a tweet in here about the Rockies last series where they got swept and outscored by twenty one runs. For everybody that has been around here with run run differential being such a big topic of conversation. The Rockies run differential this year is almost as bad as the Marlins. It's not as bad, but they're kind of in that same ballpark, especially recently with the players that they have available. They are um, their team where they're not winning as many as the close games and they get blown out even more often than the Marlins do. This is a, a very vulnerable opponent in my opinion. All right, Good opportunity. Yes, we, we can. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Ask All right, as many so, questions as you have this week. Yeah, I got, got one got question that was on my mind. So I was watching, you know, the Valley Sports broadcast, and I saw they did a minor league report about Gerard Encarnacion putting up good numbers in AAA, and I was thinking, you know, Burdick hasn't really been doing too good at the major league level. Um, <laughs> would you ever consider maybe – Thinking about Gerard and Carnacion, I know Jesus Sanchez might be coming back soon. Uh, no, probably, probably not anytime soon. I don't think. Oh, I really? Think, really? I think right. Sa- Jesus Sanchez is probably, I'd say, bare minimum another two, three weeks. I didn't. I didn't that, that is a best case. Yeah, scenario. I didn't realize. But no, okay, it's, it's a good I didn't question. Realize it was that it's, serious. It's a, it's a good question. That's just what Skip alluded to. We don't have that many details of it, but uh, it doesn't sound like he's coming back anytime soon. The, the big hint was it's going to be more than 10 days when he went on the 10-day IL. And um, he's going to have rehab starts in there. The Marlins like to take their time with rehab starts. Typically, when they say a player's out for two, four weeks, it's probably more like three or five just because they, they ease them back in. But, um, so, so your question is, what did you think that they would consider and yeah, because he's putting pretty good down. numbers. I mean, I don't really know if Gerard's clearly better than Burdick. I mean, I don't really know if Burdick's clearly better than Gerard. Like, I, I Gerard's think, consistently put up good numbers in AAA since the beginning of last year. Burdick also put up excellent numbers in AAA to start the year. The Marlins have had yeah. a lot of players put up really good numbers in Jacksonville or New Orleans over the years, and they come up to the big leagues and they just don't translate. So, um, 
Uh, I feel like Eli or if Alex Carver decides to join, um, they either one of them would give you a better evaluation on who is better between the two. It's probably a tough call. But um, if Birdie keeps hitting the way he does over like another couple weeks and Jesus Sanchez isn't making great progress, I don't see why they shouldn't bring up Encarnacion for at least a week or two. Just to, again, they want to see what they've got. He's had shots in the MLB before, but and I, I get they're trying to see more about what Burdick has, but got to pull out all stops at this point. This is a team that's expected to try and compete for a playoff spot this year. You've you got to pull out all the stops. You can't just stand pat and just hope for the best. Right. I, I entered this year thinking pretty convincingly that Burdick was a better player than Encarnacion. Um, to be honest, the marginal things will be, I should say, all the um, all the tiebreakers go for Burdick. Burdick is a much better defender, and at least he can play, he can fake it in center field. Um, generally, even though this hasn't been a great sample this year, he's going to add more defensive value. He's going to add, add more base running value, and he's also going to draw walks more frequently and just work deeper counts. Ultimately, it doesn't much matter unless you could put the bat on the ball, which he has not done at all since he got called up. And that's been really disappointing yeah. with Encarnacion. It's the same sort of risk with him where his power is probably even greater. His raw power is greater than verdicts. He, he just yesterday hit this really impressive opposite field home run that went almost 400 feet. He has power to all fields in a way that hardly anybody on this Marlins roster does. It's, I guess Avi, Avi Garcia can do the same thing. He used to do the same thing a few years ago before he became a Marlin. His hit for immense power to all fields. Uh, the big question is just whether he can make contact. The, the same thing that is destroying Burdick right now is he his, his mechanics are just too, he's just too slow to get his bat through the zone to catch up with fastballs at all. Um, really concerning. And that's the same thing with Encarnacion, especially last year when he got his opportunity in the big leagues, they had to send him back down because he was striking out almost half the time. And a lot of it was just not catching up to, to fastball. So it's, I, I would like to see them ride with Burdick until one of those other young outfielders comes back. I think Encarnacion, if he keeps this up, he's going to get his chance later in the year. He is on the 40 man roster he does have nothing left to prove down in the minors. He's doing well, but the way that he's getting those results in the minors where he's still striking out a lot when it happens, um, I'm just not very optimistic that that's going to translate. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my next question here is I'm just wondering, you know, four game series coming up in Colorado, probably the toughest ballpark for pitchers, you know, your pitchers, the pitches that they throw don't get as much movement. And uh, I know, I remember in 2021 when the Marlins were in course, Sandy had an awful start. It was like a blow-up start. He gave up like eight runs in two innings or something like that. Uh, so what are your both of your expectations when the Marlins go to Colorado for the pitchers? Um, I really – pitchers usually get blown up in course, and everyone fear-mongers over that. But it hasn't really happened this year for one main reason. The Rockies lineup really isn't that good. Um. I would be disappointed if really any of these four guys this series, uh, whether it be Eddie, Gary, um, Braxton, or Sandy, especially Sandy, if any of them get absolutely crushed this week. But um, it's just not an impressive Rockies lineup. Sure, you're going to see more big flies. You're going to see more flyouts. But maybe that helps 
more ground ball guys on, on the roster um, in that yeah. regard, whether that be Sandy or, or Eddie, especially. But um, I, I don't. I'm not playing into it too much. I really wouldn't, um, because again, this is Rockies team is not good. If they give up four, five, or more runs to the Rockies in like every single game this series, I think the problem lies further within the team than the ballpark. Well, I want to highlight a couple of players in particular. You'll remember last year, as bad as Sandy was in cores, Edward was amazing. He had like a no-hitter going into the sixth inning when he faced the Rockies last year. He was amazing. And the reason why, as Ryan greatly mentions, you know, your pitches don't break the same in cores. And that specifically tends to apply to breaking balls, meaning curve balls and sliders in particular. Those pitches that are usually great at missing bats, they don't break the same. They just hang up there a little bit and are a lot easier to put into play. But a changeup, specifically, that's a pitch that doesn't rely on spin. That's the one that it's almost the opposite, where you get as little spin as possible in order for it to drop as it gets to the plate. That's a type of pitch that generally is not as adversely affected by the high altitude with Eddie, when he had that great start, that was also the start where he threw the fastest changeup ever. That's when he threw that 96 mile per hour changeup. Those are pitches that you can still get good results off of. Um, that's something it kind of like overcomes the conditions. So with Eddie, I would go out on a limb and predict that he's going to have yet another very good start because he's still relying on that pitch a lot. And that pitch has generally been good for him uh, this year so far, even when he's had inconsistencies overall. I think he's going to be fine. On the other side, this is a really big challenge for Yuri because in his first two starts in the majors, his changeup has been really disappointing. It, he just has not had the feel for it. He hasn't thrown it. When he has thrown it, it's not gone where it's supposed to go. Um, it's been a non-factor for him so far, despite uh, everything we know about him entering his debut, thinking that it's going to be a really plus pitch in the majors. Maybe this is when he finds it, and that helps him have success. And again, even despite the change in circumstances, but if he tries to pitch the way that he had his previous two starts in Miami, I don't think it's going to go very well for him. So there's a lot of the timing of this is really interesting because he hasn't had that change up yet. He's had all his other pitches have worked really well so far this year, but this third start is going to have to look different than his other ones in order for him to have success. So that's the main storyline. The story within the story for Yuri's first road start to me is seeing how often he uses that changeup and uh, whether it's any good for him. Yeah, um, I'm going to head out now. Thank you for having me on and very good insight about the pitchers in uh, Course Field, Eli. So everyone listening, go subscribe. Go become a super subscriber for Fish Stripes. And now Romeo, I know he wants to mention what he was going to say before I came on. So, yep, thanks for having me on. I'll see you guys next Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, very, very respectful young man right there. Romeo, you, you had the, the question. By the way, anyone who wants to speak, go ahead and request um smaller audience to speak. So, we'll probably go ahead and wrap up if no one else has anything after Romeo. I see Sean out there, though. Sean, if you got something. We're being told in a separate it. conversation that uh, Jack Azut is going to be joining us and try to answer a question, but he better get it in quick. We've, we're going to give this maybe 12 minutes. We will push it a little longer, but not much beyond that. So hopefully Jack yeah, we'll Azut gets it. We'll have to milk it a little bit, but we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. The, 
Ian will start at one at eight forty. It usually does. Um. All right. So my question is: Cooper went what over this weekend, right? I don't think he got a hit. Uh, right? yeah, very bad baseball. Yes, being played by Garrett Cooper right now. Yeah. Yes, I looked it up. It was zero <laughs> for eleven with a walk. He struck out at least once in every game, and some of the outs he made were on with runners in scoring position. You know, today was that worst one was with the runners on the corners and one out, and he got ahead in the count, and then he took this really ugly swing and popped it up in the infield. It was um, that was his worst series of the season. It goes without saying. Um. All right. Here, the lineup construct. Xavier Edwards is looked decent as second comeback. I mean, he hasn't been bad, right? Why he's not, been a, he's why been a not solid do, player so far. Yeah, he's solid. I would give Koopa day off, right? Yulia day off. Put a rise at first. You could put Hampson or uh, or Xavier at second or, or Birdie at second, whatever you want at second. You put an outfield. You, you try and construct something different because neither like, did Yulia even get a hit today. He popped center field. I think he didn't even get a hit. Cooper's been bad. It's just... Maybe try and switch something up in this lineup. I know we, we hit what well, we got some five runs today, but um, it's still not enough to win. I, I want to see a different lineup. And I don't know. He, I mean, Xavier Edwards walked today, and then they proved some part of the game. He got a single, then got into a double play. We're not going to speak about that. But um, he got walked, and it was called strike three. That was uh, Anybody with the eyes uh, can see that was a walk. An important part of the game. He's had a good at-bats. Um, I feel like he's deserved, he's earned his way into starting in at least a couple games over some players that are not producing in the Rye. And you have people that can cover first, and Rye's going to play first. He, he did it all year, last year. He's played that second, but I feel like he, he you're going to get more out of your lineup, maybe. I feel like I should add that. If you put, if you try something out in that lineup and give Koopa day off, maybe give him another couple rest days like you did Segura. I don't. I like the idea of just giving Coop a few days off the, the reset. It seemed to work at least temporarily with Segura, but I don't know if, if Skip would entertain the idea of putting her eyes back at first and the Marlins seem pretty committed to him playing second. I think I think you're more likely to see them give Coop a few days off and play Yuli there. But um, I, don't, I don't know if they'd slide or rise over there. If they really have that much faith in Xavier Edwards, but I feel like the main idea of this space is particularly has been just see what you got. So I don't hate the idea. I don't. I guess so. Um, I'm not overly concerned about Coop right now. I, I would just, and I'm also, I've been kind of clear that I'm skeptical about Yuli. So unless it's going to be Arise always playing first base, I don't think they're going to, you can expect much offense from, from Yuli when he's starting in place of Coop. Um, if you look at it recently, he gives you occasional infield singles in recent weeks, and that's about it. Um, so I, I don't think that's that's going to be much of an upgrade on days that Coop sits. I, I think he's we'll, we'll, I'll want to see this a little bit longer. Um, but if, if we get deeper into this upcoming week in Cooper, um, yeah, if he can't get going at Coors Field, then there's something wrong. Cooper is built specifically for Coors Field. Um, for people that don't know this, he is one of the all-time MLB leaders in a career for batting average on balls in play um, for his career. It has just been uh, almost inexplicable how somebody like him, who doesn't run well, just gets so many hits. Um, he, he, is, he is such a 
it gets overlooked how good he is at finding gaps in the defense and calibrating his swing to get that perfect line drive that either splits the gaps or falls in front of outfielders. Um, so if Coop can't run himself into a handful of hits during this upcoming series against the Rockies, then that's when I would start getting a little concerned that something is off. But I think this comes at a perfect time for him. For as bad as he was this past weekend, I think Coors Field is the perfect medicine for him. Yeah, this series is coming at a pretty good time where Marlins offense outside of today, it was really non-existent. Even today, it was kind of carried by one person. But uh, I think he's going to have a monster series this week. I kind of showed my hand here as to who my series MVP is going to be, but uh, he's Jorge Soler is playing great baseball right now. I would love to see him in the home run derby. I don't know if he participate. I campaigned for it. I started it like a week ago. I want to see Jorge Soler on a Monday night in July. I, I think it would be fun. Um, before someone else comes up, Nick Enright, is he, how has he been doing? I know, he, I, don't, I doubt that he'll make the front lineup anytime soon, because the bullpen is pretty much, like, solid, I don't know, in my opinion. I don't know if you want to give towing the start again, because I feel like that would be the only guy that would take Enright out of this position, but how has he been doing? I think he's been doing decent, but, like, someone that actually watches the game, because I really don't really That, that would be a really good... Barber question, but he's not here. Eli probably has an answer, though. Yes, because I did watch his most recent game, which was impressive. Three scoreless endings against the Reds AAA affiliate. That was last night, including a strikeout of Ellie De La Cruz, who in some people's opinion is the very best Whoa. prospect in baseball. Whoa, bats are pretty good. That, that Reds farm is, is good. They got like Christian Encarnacion Strand. The, uh, the Reds got a few more yep. like, good AAA guys. The yes. bats are pretty good. Yes, Encarnacion Strand's pummeled Enright for a double, but that didn't lead to any rounds. It was three scoreless innings. This is, I believe, his fifth rehab appearance overall. They've been doing it deliberately over the last month or so, uh, the last few weeks in the month of May. He's coming back next weekend, um, either next weekend or probably right after the road trip. One of the two, he's going to be eligible to come back next weekend after being on the 60-day IL. And to clarify, he needs to be on the active roster when he is done with his rehab assignment. That's what happens when you're a rule five draft pick. You can't option you. You can't option somebody to the minors. In this case, the loophole is that he's on a quote rehab assignment coming back from uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And in that it's now been a few weeks and there's been a lot of positive um, in his performance so far. The main thing is that he's just throwing strikes and he's been aggressive. And the interesting wrinkle is that they have stretched him out quite a bit that he threw three innings in this past outing. Um, upwards of 40 something pitches. I, I think he's not, he's going to be back on this roster and he's going to have an important role considering, you know, the lack of length that they've been getting from most of their starters this year. He's going to be, I would expect the long man in this bullpen, the guy that pretty frequently when it comes to Yuri and when Yuri reaches a point in his games where they don't want to push him any farther, like Enright is going to be a guy that piggybacks him. That's a phrase that is kind of fallen out of style, but a piggybacker piggyback guy that is expected to pitch multiple innings to get them through. Even if it's a low leverage situation, it's really important and adds up and keeps everybody fresh. So to reiterate and right, he's eligible to return next weekend. I believe next Saturday is the date where the 60 days expires. Um, potentially because it's on the road, they may wait until the team is back home um, the following week on May 30th. Maybe that's the day they bring him back. Uh, I'd be surprised if he's not back by May 30th. And at that time, they have to make a decision about which pitcher to send down. This is something you want to evaluate 
uh, as late as possible, you know, for as we get to the middle of this week, when it's evidently clear that he's ready. And when we, there's no new injuries, knock on wood, if there's no new injuries on this pitching staff and you actually have to send down a healthy arm, there'll be an interesting conversation. But my all too early prediction is that he would take the Brian Hoeing spot and that, that Hoeing would get stretched out as a starter again in the minors and stay ready for if they ever need an additional reinforcement in the rotation. It's a pretty good guess, though. I, I think Helling would probably be the guy just so that he can get right because these injuries, they're a plague, so they might need that. I, I, I'm still talking because just my questions are coming back to me. You're well, we, got, we got a few minutes, so keep oh. going. I, I, I like Yuri Perez's last start against the Nats. It was a very good start, yeah. He, he gave up one home run to... Jaimir Delario, who was like an impossible out this weekend, but um, I think he pitched perfect, and I think that that Nats series was very well coached by Skip. I liked it. I agree. I agree. That was a very well-managed series. Anytime you win a close game, managing does play a factor into it, at least. Not all the players, but um, I agree with you. Grant, question. Before yeah. the Jorge Soler home run, what had happened the previous play before the home run? Uh, the, the walk-off. I was at work that night. So what I do when, when I don't watch games is if I'm not able to watch it the next morning, I wake up at pretty much the same time every morning. I watch the condensed game, just like 45 minutes. It's, it's pretty easy to watch. I, I kind of forget, but those two outs, I think they got two guys on. And then Jorge Soler hit that. Or maybe it was just one guy on. I, I remember it being two outs, and then they got some guys on, and Soler hit the nuke. It was all right, so hit a single. John Birdie got on base, and what did he do? Grant, you know. Uh, oh, why? what did he do? I forget. He stole a base. He, oh I, he did steal one. I, I forgot you talked about he that. He stole second, show. and the next pitch was a home run. I was laughing because it was just it, it was perfect because it was just coming off that rant that I just had. First game back. First game back, it was. Yeah, 100%. Well timed. It seems I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, you got the Quato. You, you were a Quato hater in the offseason. You got that right. Your rant, it, it just kind of played into fruition this week. Maybe we got to start listening to you more. <laughs> I remember I got clipped by MLB tw- or by Marlins Twitter when I said the Quito signing was bad. But um, it, it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. I think if you look up waste of money, I think that's the first thing that pops up <laughs> when when uh, it was Quito. one year deal. It was just a one year deal, but it's not going to bite him too hard. Is it one? I thought it was two. Uh, I think it's one. What, yeah, one year with a club option. There's uh, the saying goes, there's no such thing as a bad one year deal because after one year is over, so they're going to, uh, barring a miracle, they can buy out the second uh, option for 2024. And the buyout's not a ton of money. I don't think. I think it's only like a couple million at that. Yes. Yeah. So the guarantee was 8.5. They've already paid him six, and so the buyout is 2.5. If it's uh, between 2.5 or giving him a salary of about eight eight point five, it's it, it's going to be yeah they're going to swallow that pill unless he 
comes back. It's still a long season. That's what I want to reiterate is how long this season is. We're not even 50 games in. We're, we're not even 30% oh, of the way there yet. We are like only a month and a half in. We got a lot more. We have so much baseball left. Yeah, there are, there are players that haven't even crossed your mind that are going to see significant playing time on the Marlins before the season is over, and there are going to be players that you have written off who are going to be helpful before the season is over. I don't know if Cueto is one of those. I've, I've just been through this too many times to pretend to know exactly how this is going to play out. So with Cueto, he's, well, thro- he's throwing again. He's, he's throwing again. You can't put it totally out of the question that he's going to salvage something out of the season. Any final questions, Romeo? Like I said, guys who haven't even crossed your mind are going to come up. Isaac's listening. Jacob Amaya, he will at some point. He will come up. Guys who you see on the Fish on the Farm Twitter and our prospect coverage Twitter that we talk about, they will come up at some point. It's a long season. The Marlins will have a ton of options of guys to really play. But internally, you're going to see some names. I'll leave it at that. Can we talk about how funny their, what was it, the fourth run that they scored on, or the sixth was because John Burry didn't want to literally fall in the dugout and they got, they got on second base because of it today? That yeah, was, I, mean, I think they still would have lost even if that, uh, had that not happened, though. Well, that was funny. 4-4 four, four still at that point? Was it 4-5? That... No. I think it was 4-4. I believe that was the seventh run. They were down 6-4 at the time, and that contributed to that seventh run scoring. That would have been, if it happens in a tie game, that would be one of the more frustrating plays of the entire season. Um, so they ruled that because he caught it entirely in the field of play and then, by his own choice, ran out of the field of play because he went into the Giants' dugout um, that he was it was the same thing as throwing the ball out of play as well. So that's what led to the extra base happening there. That if the game circumstances were a little bit different, if it felt like the game was more within reach and that led to a 90 feet that contributed to run scoring, then the vibe would be very different. Yeah. You can understand from birdie situation that um, it's, it's a somewhat of a judgment call there where if you fall out of play while making the catch itself, all in one action, then it's fine. Then that doesn't, in, that's not involved, but because he kind of made a choice in the judgment of the umpire to like go out of play. That's what led to that extra base there. There was a similar play today in the, in the Reds Peacock game. It was like the first inning and the Reds were hitting and the, the Yankees, I think it was, it was probably on Twitter, but I wasn't on Twitter for most of the day, but um, that Bowers guy for the, for the Yankees was on the right field line. He was right there on the foul line, had the ball in his glove, dropped it in play. And I thought that the, they were going to get the red because the reds had a runner on first and India was rounding second. I thought they're going to get the reds of runners on the corners. They overturned it of course, because that ball wasn't playing. They initially called a foul, but that, um, but they, they ruled an RBI double, which, caught me by surprise and Boone got ejected. So I wouldn't have been surprised at all if um, if Skip would have gotten ejected had that been a closer game. Because the game was still 0-0 at that point. I just happened to be watched. I thought that was hilarious that they actually did overturn the call, especially in a game that the Yankees were involved in. Any other questions, though? Romeo, you're, you're kind of going to send us out here. 
game starts in a few here. We're already losing some, some listeners, so if you've got anything else, ask it real quick. Nah. Go ahead. All right. Oh, no, Sean, last second request. Hold on. Hold on. What do, what do we got? What do we got? Make it quick. Loading in here. He's still loading. There we go. Sean, what do we got? Out here. Hey, uh, one question, and I jumped in late. You talked about this earlier in the show. You just say you talked about it earlier in the show. <laughs> but um, I saw Eli. I saw you tweeted earlier about um, Austin Allen, and so just wondering if you guys can touch on, I guess catcher situation. Like, what do you um, think that would be? And bringing him up would that be an option if they would do be decide to change a catcher? That, yeah, I mean, that, would be, would they be? don't have a ton of internal options. The only internal option they have that's even like halfway enticing is if they were to call up Paul McIntosh, but he's injured, so right. they can't, at least for the time being. Austin Allen, he'll be fine behind the dish, like fine, just fine, but he's going to be terrible at the plate. Uh, he shouldn't be treated as a prospect, like Eli said, and um, uh, the the Marlins, I hate to say it, they're kind of screwed at catcher. I mean, Stallings is done. He's not going to get back to what he once was. Fortes, I think his ceiling's like a good second catcher. I don't know if he's like a starting caliber catcher in this league, at least the way he's playing right now. And then again, no good internal options. Just call up Will Banfield. Just just do it. I will, I'll talk about this more on a podcast going out tomorrow morning about Austin Allen. He's an interesting Guy, but not an exciting guy. He's he's interesting in that he he hits the ball really hard. His his max exit velo is as good as almost everybody on the Marlins aside from Jorge Soler. When he really gets into one, he crushes it. I think if he got enough playing time in the majors, he would hit a decent amount of home runs. He hits from the left side, which is important for the Marlins considering how few how they don't have any left-handed power threats right now on the active roster. So he has a role to play potentially and even defensively i kind of like his framing i think he's going to add some value in that aspect um the issue is the biggest issue when it comes to any position player is that his i don't know how his hit tool is going to translate i don't know if he's going to so far in triple a this year he has the lowest and therefore the best strikeout rate that he's had in many years of minor league ball that's encouraging but he's had ma- major league opportunities in the past and he's, you know, he's hit below the Mendoza line with an OPS in the five hundreds. He's had other opportunities and it just hasn't translated. This is now, I think his fourth separate year in triple a. So you need to throw the overall stats out the window at that point. It's just about digging deep and looking at the skill set, and it's an interesting, but it's an incomplete skill set. He's a slow guy. And he, this year he's had some bad luck, but he's also, he's a player that I would expect to have a very low batting average. Um, at any level of play, it's just going to be a question as to how much power he gets into and how well he jives with the Marlins pitching staff. He was with the Marlins in spring training. He did catch a handful of games in Grapefruit League play. Um, I think that's what puts him on the radar is that he's somewhat familiar with these guys from working with them all throughout Major League Camp as a non-roster invitee. They're, they're going to reach a point eventually where uh, I think you make a tough call on just saying goodbye to Stallings and bringing up um, Austin Allen. He's certainly the the next man up if either Stallings or Fortes gets injured. But I'll, I'll talk about more on the podcast. Temper your expectations for him. He's not somebody that you want to rush up right now. He is he, He's simply he's the next man up um, 
if you want to go that route. I wouldn't force him up, though. Agreed. Was that all you had for us? We lost half our viewers. We'll probably, we'll probably wrap it up here. I think the Heat game started. Nope, go Heat. Yes, yes, let's go Heat. Um, go Panthers. At the, we got the we got Fish Stripes live tomorrow. Uh, we have a good guest for that one. I don't know if we've announced it, but in case we haven't, we have a good guest. I'm pumped for it. A uh, good buddy of ours. But uh, thank you all for listening. We'll do the same time next week, hopefully to cap off a uh, winning road trip. Not looking good right now, being one and two on the road trip, but we'll see. Horse Field's coming up. Um, stay tuned for all Fish Stripes content this week, and we will see you guys next week.